So good morning, church. Welcome on this day, on this smoky Sunday. Uh, when we went to Montana for the last couple of weeks, um, we saw the smoke. We saw the fire. We were amazed about what was going on. But we continued on and we had a, a pretty good vacation, at least especially one day. When I was fly fishing, uh, I had a guide, and as we floated down to Yellowstone, uh, I was in my happy place. But in fishing, there are fishing stories, and most fishing stories are exaggerated. There's a tinge of truth, but then, you know, the fish that you caught was really that big, but you, by the time you finish it after saying it six times, it's this big. We are taught when we are uh, uh, going to take a picture with a fish, you do not hold the fish like this. You hold the fish like this because it looks bigger. So we make it more than really what it is. But fishing requires something. And so I'm going to ask for that first slide to come up. That is called a purple haze. No, it's not Jimi Hendrix. It's called purple haze. And it's a fly. It's a fly that I have made in the past. It's a fly that really has worked well. And so on fr last Friday, a week ago Friday evening, I'm fishing with my family. My grandson is here, my son-in-law is here, and a friend is further down stream. And, that, and so I'm using this purple haze. And as I'm using it, I get a couple of bites, but not really a lot. I said, but they're biting on it. So I decided to go to a smaller version of this. And I got strike after strike after strike. I see the fish come up. I do not bring any of them in. And my grandson was saying, what's happening, Papa? Because he's seen this. And so I said, I don't know. I'm too slow. I don't set the hook. Or I'm too fast and I pull it out of its mouth. Or I don't see it and I don't do anything with it. And so I was frustrated, and I said, well, maybe it's because you're getting to be 72. And I said, this is frustrating. This has never happened to me. So I decided to get up and go back in, because I'm frustrated at this point. It's getting dark, and my, my daughter is worried about me not being able to get back up. So I head on up, and I'm breaking down the rod, the line. And so I have to cut off the fly in order to break it all down. And I look at this fly. As I look at this fly, I started laughing, almost to tears, because it was sad. Why wasn't I pulling the fish with this little fly? I looked at the end, oh, no. There was no hook. <laughs> and, my, and my grandson says to me, Papa, 
That's happened to me too. And I haven't, I don't know if it really happened or he was just trying to comfort me. But unless you have a hook, you can't catch a fish. That's a fact. Unless you go catfishing in the channels and you canoodle and you grab them right up. I've never done that because I don't want to get bitten. So, so you need a hook. That's a fact. No hook. You can get all the action you want, but no fish. Not that I use the fish to eat, because once I catch it, we release it. So, we come to a text. We come to a text that says something. He says it, Paul says it in such a way that it is convincing and that it's the truth. But is it the truth? Or is it an exaggeration? Because oftentimes you have come into a conversation that there are some people that says, I don't believe that. You know, the 500 or so, they were all in mass hysteria. Really. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 2 says this. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In vain means worthlessness. It's empty. You believed it, but you're a sad creature because it's not the truth. So why is the resurrection? Why is it foundational? Because he says, by which you stand, the gospel stands or falls on the resurrection. It does not fall or stand on his birth. Although it's very important because it fulfills prophecy because he's born of a virgin. It does not depend on his life. Although that's important because he demonstrates who he is and that he's sent from the Lord with a purpose. The importance of the resurrection seals the whole deal. You can have all the rest, and if there's no resurrection, you believe in vain. You're still in your sin. People believe a lot, of a lot of things. We make decisions on faith. Just to believe is not enough. Because we can believe the wrong thing. It's why do you believe? On what basis have you taken this decision? Faith is a word like love. It takes an object. You have faith in. You have, before you even sat down, without even thinking, you sat down in a chair believing that it's going to support you. Now, some of us have sat down on a chair believing it's going to support us, and it's, it's gone. But for the most part, we believe. 
because of what it represents. And if other people are sitting down, it must be okay. Belief takes an object. You believe in something. What you believe in will determine a lot of your life. I know, and I, I don't blame them to a, to a certain extent, but, you know, those boys that went in Thailand that had to be rescued out of that cave, well, now they're all, uh, not all of them, uh, what, 10 out of the 11 boys is, uh, are now um, Buddhist monks in training, except for one, because he's a Christian. But I don't blame them for believing that Buddha was behind some of this. I don't blame them because that's the way they were raised. And so, what you believe in really matters. Here, it stand, you stand or fall on what you believe. On the same Friday evening as we're wade fishing, the river is low, the Yellowstone River is low, and I asked my grandson, how, how easy is it to wade on out? He says, it comes up to a little bit above your calf. It had, the river had dropped. I said, so do I need my wading stick? He said, no, I don't think so. Well, I get out there. The river is flowing, and I take, I want to take a step and make a cast. So I take that step, and my left foot stands on this rock that slopes down, and I am doing the splits. And I said, uh-oh. I am not strong enough because of the current to come back and I'm afraid to go this way because this one's on the slippery rock. So I'm stuck. And I asked my grandson, I didn't ask him, I just told him, I need help. He looks at me, what? I need help. I said, I can't get my legs back together. So I said, I need help. So he starts coming over, and then one of my daughter's friends, and uh, uh, those who have been in Soma for a while, uh, uh, the friend is named Ben Joyce. He headed up Soma for a while after. And so, uh, so he comes running down, and he helps me, and we get back up. Now I'm standing. I said, well, i got to go back up to get the waiting stick. And he says, no, I'll go up and get it. My foundation was weakened to the point that I could not do anything. I believed that I could wade into the river without getting into trouble. I believed that because I believed in my grandson. But my grandson is 18 years old and he can do anything. So... 
it wasn't for my grandson and Ben, I probably would have been munching it on the river. There's a lot of things that people believe in. We all like something that's shiny and new. So there's a story that's coming out of San Francisco, and it's called the Leaning Tower of San Francisco. It's a condominium complex that really, I don't know how many stories it goes up. And each of those units are not $1 million. They're a couple of million dollars. And so big money has poured into that, and they bought it. Only now, after they bought it, they're finding that it's leaning. More than it should. Because there's always some settling. What was discovered was that the builders did not build down to bedrock. The builders did not build with steel. They built with concrete. And when concrete starts to crack, you can figure the rest. So what is your foundation? Is it on bedrock? Or is it on something else? Faith requires an object. Faith is not wishful thinking. Faith has a basis. Now, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, Ken brought out the requirement of faith. And he talked about this guy, and I got a little different story on this, but uh, on Harry Blondine. And you actually can look him up and find out in Look magazine way back in the day when they, there really was a magazine. And uh, they actually have him being photographed. He stretches a rope, a tightrope, across Niagara Falls. Of course, there's a big buildup to attract a crowd. So he goes up, he and his pole, he goes across, and he wows the crowd. He goes back out, and he actually is taking this little sternal kind of heating element, and he boils an egg in the middle of that tightrope. And you see the picture where he takes his stat, a stick with a little loop on it, and he lowers it down to a boat way down there. So then he comes back, and he takes this wheelbarrow, and he fills it full of rocks. And he goes over, and he goes back. And he comes back after that last... How many believe I can cross over to the other side on this tightrope? Me and my stick. Everybody raises their hand. Why? Because they saw him do it. He asked, how many believe I can cook an egg in the middle of this tightrope? Everybody raises their hand. Why? Because they saw him do it. How many believe I can take this? It's about 200 pounds, or 250 pounds, 200, 250 pounds of rock that I can take it across. And everybody raises their hands because what? They saw him do it. But on that last question, as he's asking it, he's emptying the wheelbarrow. 
And he asked, how many believe I can take a person across? A few hands start to raise, and then, and then people start to think, you know, it's actually easier cause to take a live person than rock. Because once rock goes, it goes. So eventually somebody does this. But why was the hesitation? This is what we call saving faith. There is an historical faith. How many believe I can? Why? Because they saw it. It's history now. How many believe that George Washington is the first president of the United States? Did you ever meet him? You ever talk to him? No, but we have historical witnesses. Then there's this kind of faith that you're in, you're in trouble. You're in big-time trouble. You stole the family car and you crashed it. Or you started beating up somebody. Or you did something just horrendous and you're in trouble. And so you pray out, God, if you get me out of this mess, I'll never do it again. That's called momentary faith. It has nothing to do with the past. It has nothing really to do with the future except that I promised I wouldn't do it again. I just want you out. I just want out of this mess. And how many of us have prayed that and find out that, yeah, we did it again? That's called momentary faith. What we're talking about is saving faith. That you would place your life based upon who Jesus is was on what Jesus did and that Jesus rose again. I remember sharing this gospel, the gospel to a friend, uh, to a friend called, his name was Fred. I don't even know why he chose Fred. He had a Chinese name that I liked better. All right? Sui Sang. I always called him Sui. He always helped me in geometry. He was smart. But then he adopted the, why did you do Frederick? You could have had a lot of names that were really manly. Fred? Frederick? Anyway, I shared the gospel with him. I said, I have placed my trust in Jesus Christ. And he listened. And he says, I can't do it. Why not? He died for you. I can't believe it. I just won't do it. He never did. Because he didn't believe it. In fact, when I was fishing, uh, some of you seen my posting on the Facebook as we're drifting down the river, I'm catching whitefish after whitefish after whitefish. We call that trash fish. And all the anglers would say, if you catch one, kill it, throw it into the bushes. They just take up river space. But I am catching whitefish after whitefish after whitefish. And then finally, I hooked on, and it's on Facebook, I hooked on to this brown. And I said, it's probably another whitefish. He says, no, it's a trout. And I said, no, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a rainbow or a brown. And he says, no, it is a trout. It's a brown. It's a big brown. And I said, I don't know, I'm not seeing it. He says, pull it. 
strip it in, bring it in, believe that it is. I'm not seeing it. He is seeing it. And what he is asking me to do, because he is seeing it, that I believe it. Boy, pull it out. Oh, now do you believe? The, res the resurrection is foundational. It is what separates us from all other belief systems. It's the only faith system that says, he is not dead, he is alive. And if he is dead, somebody will know, and they would have brought him. I tell you, Rome would have, was be tearing up the place just to discover him. So, no resurrection, no gospel. No resurrection, no saving faith. The resurrection is not fiction. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8. For I delivered to you first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he would rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by, uh, uh, by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom greater part whom remains to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that he's seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. CNN, if you watch it, I mean, there's MSNBC, they're supposed to be the liberal. Fox News is supposed to be the right. CNN's supposed to be in the middle, but it's often attacked that says it's liberal. So CNN posted this, uh, uh, and we would see the ad if you watch CNN, and it brings out an apple. Just sits it there. It's the only thing on the screen. And the narrator says, this is an apple. Now, you may call it a banana. You may say it's a banana. But it doesn't change the fact that this is an apple. And that is what is being spoken about here. You can say anything else you want, but this is the truth. This is the resurrection. So how do we know this? Paul gives witnesses. He says, he was seen by Cephas, Peter ran to the tomb. And then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren. At once. And this is where I shared earlier that people say, well, this is mass hysteria. Really? Then by James and all the apostles, and then Paul himself. Paul gives these witnesses. Overwhelming witnesses. And it's the fulfillment of Scripture. So he quotes and he uses 
Now he doesn't quote. He uses Isaiah 53, 5-6 because he says, according to the scriptures. And he uses Psalm 16, 8-11 because this is according to the scriptures. It is foretold. And now it is in fact. Then there's one other little. I love this picture my in-laws had. And we had it for a long, long time. But because uh, uh, we hadn't, didn't have a place in one spot, we, uh, we let it go to a friend. But it's the two walking with Jesus Christ on the Emmaus Road. And they were mourning the fact of Jesus dying. And then after they ate with him and he told them what was to take place, they said, and did, did not our hearts burn? I love It's like me walking with Jesus. That's what I want to do. I want to listen to him. I want to hear him. But these two also shared. And Luke puts it in. The gospel has a basis. And that basis is in reality. It's not virtual reality. It is reality. I love virtual reality. I, don't, I just don't have one. I just go into the mall and use that one. All right? But the gospel is based on reality. And you can take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank. And because of that reality, we should always be humble. 9 through 11 says, For I am least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Sounds like Popeye. Remember him? I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly that they all, than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was, whether it was I or they, we preach, and so you believe. Paul recognizes the grace that has been extended to us. In 1 Timothy 1.15, it says this, This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. All of a sudden I forgot his name. Tony Campolo. I was in a conference with Tony Campolo. And he's speaking. He's a marvelous speaker. Just don't sit in the front row because he spits. All right? He, 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 he has this bald head, and he, he really is one for uh, uh, social justice. But he is speaking. And as he speaks, he says this. I believe 
what he did. I believe that it was for me. I believe. And Tony Campolo, if, if you never heard of him, just go on someplace, probably on YouTube somewhere, and listen to him. He's a magnificent speaker. But his stand is so strong. He has this saying, it's Friday. It's Friday. But Sunday is a coming. He attended a black church in Philadelphia. He's not black, but that's where he... And that was what his pastor repeated and repeated. It's Friday. But Sunday is a coming. And he also said this. If you knew what was in my life, you wouldn't be sitting here listening to me. But if I knew what was in your life, I wouldn't be here speaking to you. He understood the grace of God. I look back at my life, and I knew the call of God on my life. But I did something that was not, not good. And it landed me in jail. And when I got out, because my parents bailed me out, first thing I did was on a Sunday, I went to church. Because that's where I wanted to go. Well, I'm sitting there, listening, and then the pastor because we are looking at a new building in, an, in a, a predominantly Jewish area in Oakland. And they were wanting to buy these facilities and make it into their church building. And so the pastors, and there was some concern because it was a youth group, basically. There are 70 of us, junior hires to college. The only adults with the pastor and his wife, the assistant pastor and his wife, the Sunday school superintendent and his wife. That was the adults. And so they said, uh, uh, we don't know about a youth. We don't know. They, they could just do something horrible. And this is what the pastor said in front of the city council. If you can find anybody in our group that has run afoul of the law, we will withdraw our proposal. We will withdraw our bid. How do you think I felt? I just got out of jail. I wanted to dig a hole as far as I could go. I wanted to go under the pew and disappear. And at that point, I said, I'm disqualified from ministry. God can't use me. So when you talk about the chief sinner, there's got to be. Maybe you don't have. But I know for myself, I know I didn't kill anybody. 
came close. But I've done some horrendous things that says, I'm chief of all sinners. And God, at that point, could do nothing for me until some people took me aside. Do you believe in a forgiving God? In fact, I was going to go to a Bible college because I had friends going to that Bible college. I withdrew. In some ways, I think that, oh, not lots of ways, it was really good that I didn't go. Otherwise, I wouldn't have my wife. But, have you felt that way? Paul did. Chief of sinners. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And then he says in Ephesians 2.9 Not of works lest anyone should boast. We are not fit to be in God's presence. It is by His grace. We are not fit to serve Him, but it's because of His grace. We got something we didn't deserve. We got life. We got a lifeline. And because of that, Paul says, and I toil more. Not that he's putting down the other apostles so much, but he's saying, I understand the grace that was given to me. And that is the reason why I even work harder. I'm not taking it for granted. I don't want this grace to be in vain. And there are times that people have said, it's by grace you are saved, not by work lest any man should boast. And so people have come to salvation because of God's grace. But it's cheap grace when they walk off because they don't understand the price that was paid. They don't understand the depth of which God's love is. And so when Matt has the song, it says he draws me Deeper, deeper, deeper into his love. Paul doesn't want this grace to be wasted. He gives his life for Christ. As a pastor, over 40-something years, I have baptized a lot. We go through a baptism class. We say, this is what it means. This is why we do it. And they say, yeah, this is what we want to do. It says, you're committing yourself totally to Jesus Christ. And then I watch, and as other pastors have watched, 
the same people that say, I'm all in, they're basically all out. How many times, and this may not be your first church, but how many times have you seen a baptism only a year later to see they're, they're not a part of the church? Or how many times have you said, and you watched, even for yourself, I need to do something for the sake of the gospel, and I don't do it? We've all been there. He gives his life. He's all in. Do we get into his wheelbarrow that he takes us across? and say that we're all in? We may not have persecuted the church, but I know for me, and maybe you, have considered yourself unworthy and the worst of the worst. But it's because of his grace. And it's because of the resurrection. No resurrection? Go home. Go do your other worshiping in front of the television with football season coming in. I know, guys. I've been there. Oakland Raiders are in New York. And they play at 10 a.m. I tell my wife to go to church, but I'm watching the Raiders. Who's, who's more important? What's more important? Am I all in? And I need to take, make that check every now and then. Am I all in? No resurrection. As we come to the table.